0: Loaded, loaded podcast. We're gonna break down Game Two, Philly, Boston. We're gonna break down the rest of the playoffs for the most part uh, with Gilbert Arenas. We're also gonna ask him about his nastiest exit ever from a team, and boy, did it get nasty with Stan Van Gundy in Orlando. We're gonna talk a little Pearl Jam, new book out from Stephen Hyden. He joined us earlier uh, in the podcast history, talking Radiohead. So we'll do that and life advice. This episode is brought to you by Buy. It's Wonderwater. So I was wondering what made Buy so great, and it's actually pretty simple. BYE has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners, and the flavors are delicious. For me, it has to be By Zambia Bing Cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose buy. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about buy and discover all of the exotic bold flavors at drinkby.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. Tales from the Couch, one game in the East, Boston
0: hosting Philadelphia. I will do more on Lakers Warriors and some of the other series uh, as well uh, with Gilbert Arenas coming up, so don't feel left out. Anyway, uh, great staff from TNT right at the start of the broadcast, and this is something that I always try to hammer on with everyone about every single playoff series and how games are connected. Uh, the result of the previous game influences the result of the next game. So the last 14 times, the road team won game one, the home team won game two. I was like, wow, okay, let's talk about connected. All right, right from the jump, we know Embiid is coming back, MVP, Rolex. Has anyone ever seen anyone get a watch before? Based on last night's content, that must have been the first time for millions of people. All right, so uh, Horford immediately watching him. I'm like, okay, he's away from the rim, takes two threes in the first 240. Those were purposeful threes. You could see it with his decision-making. He didn't make any last night, by the way. Uh, I think he had one. Um, but the point was, like this was a proactive thing that he was going to do. I'm going to make Embiid have to respect me out here. I'm going to try to move him away from the rim. Um, and that was obviously by design. Uh, I was curious of whether or not we would see the double bigs later on, the Rob Al Horford deal. Uh, we did see it. Again, this game was such a blowout that I don't know that there's a ton of stuff that I go, ooh, the little of this, little of that, a little of that. So we're gonna run through it all, obviously, but different things. Uh I also feel like whenever something doesn't work, uh, this is the mistake a lot of us make. We assume that you have to do something differently the next day. And as I, I've tried to remind, like I remember that Milwaukee Atlanta series, certain things that were happening in drop coverage, although we do know uh the stubbornness of, of Milwaukee's approach in the past at times, but like It's not even specific to that series. There are certain times something will look like, well, you can't do that anymore, or you shouldn't play him there, or you can't have that be the defensive assignment. And then the next game, it's all the same, and the result is completely different. And that's why the coaches do not give in to this as much as uh, maybe we would want them to, which is, again, another alarming thing about Phoenix that throughout all of this, I feel like they've just gone, oh, well, maybe we'll just do this, or maybe we'll just do that. Like Adjustments are funny because we all want them, and then sometimes we get him and we're like uh, but with this case with Embiid you knew Boston was gonna, just going to play the game differently like you have to play the game differently so i thought Embiid looked pretty good overall uh defensively he looked great the block the uh just influencing anything at the rim you could tell immediately it was very different for Boston on some of the drives offensively uh you know look i don't want i don't think anybody that we would any any of us that would respect an opinion out there or anyone that's offering out opinions of people that we like, or even if you don't like him, you just think, okay, at least this person is, is somebody who makes sense generally, but you know, and Bede not playing in game two because he did look rusty. He looked rusty offensively. I just, you know, I don't, I would not agree with wanting to do that. If he's going to go ahead and be cleared and we'll get to kind of his quote at the end of this whole thing. So yeah, he looked a little, look, when he's healthy and scoring like 40 and looking like the best player in the world, There's times where it looks like he's laboring. So that's just the way he's going to look at times. But now we had like a visual excuse with the knee bandage and everything and him being out. So it wasn't great. But there was a bunch of this that wasn't great for Philadelphia. So um, another thing I was looking for is the free throw attempts because it wasn't likely you were going to have another game match what happened in game one with no free throw attempts uh, in the first half for Philadelphia. And Harden got a call at 723. And I was like, okay, here we go. Um, there was also a play where Smart dove on PJ Tucker. It was so dirty by Smart. Uh, if you're a Philly fan, he obviously would get payback on diving for loose balls a little bit later. We will get to that play with Embiid. I just hate that play. I thought it was worse than the time Smart dove at Curry, uh, during the regular season of last year. You can sit there if you're a Celts fan and be like, Oh, I just love that grit, Tommy point hustle and all that stuff. It's bullshit. It is because you kind of know, especially As one of these elite athletes, you know what you're doing with your body. And then the way he hit P.J., I thought, like, P.J., we were going to have a leg amputation situation. So they were yelling on the broadcast, like, oh, P.J.'s down. And then it was away. So we didn't really get to see. And look, there are just certain players in the league now, as soon as they're dinged up at all physically, uh, whether they're hurt and actually getting over it or they're just, you know, a little theatrical about it, And P.J.'s a very demonstrative player, but I just kind of hated that play. Anyway, Celtics double bigs at 648 of the first, so very early with that one. Uh, First quarter, let's run through the summary. Boston's up 28-22. They're plus three on field goal attempts. They're plus six points on threes. Both teams only one turnover, but Philly's in this by not making any shots because they're 9-10 of from the free throw line. Grant Williams now a factor again, and it feels like a real bonus for Boston because even though rotationally I thought there was a chance for him to get in in some of the games uh, against Atlanta, you can see matchup-wise why, because I just don't know that his defense was as good this year as it was last year. Uh, I I think you could see defensively maybe Missoula not trusting it as much, his offense dipping a bit. But, man, if you watch Grant, and you're going to see him more in this series, when he has the Embiid assignment, He was absolutely busting his ass to fight for a position and also just try to get into the way of any kind of entry pass, not saying he's cutting off the entry pass, but influencing the angle. It was incredible stuff watching him fight like tons of credit for him coming right in and going, I have no chance physically against Embiid. I have to just work him and I have to like change sides to the ball and fight and fight and fight. Like I'm not just going to sit behind him and let him get the catch. Not that M B is still not going to get the catch at times. And then on top of that, depending on who the primary ball handler was on some of the stuff where Embiid is set up at the free throw line, which we know is where he's going to live. Uh, you could have the defender on the ball, cheat a little bit, not too much, especially if it's Harden because you can't give Harden any space. Uh, then you'd have on the other side, whoever was playing on the perimeter, um, cheating towards Embiid. So it was almost like this mini three-man zone uh, against Embiid trying to influence the catch, and then once he made the catch, make it tougher for him. So I thought that that's not an adjustment. That's, that's what they're going to do. It's just the difference between Embiid being in the game and not being in the game, which should open up things from the outside, but it didn't happen because Philly didn't make any threes. Uh, one of my favorite misses now of the 2023 season is Jalen Brown going in Embiid and trying to dunk on him. It was an all-time block from Embiid. But Jalen having that mindset to do it, being like, all right, whatever, like I could miss it anyway. Uh, I thought that was just the just those those are the things you want to see. You want to see those from your basketball players for the guys that are going to have the ball in their hands, at the biggest moment uh, showing absolutely no fear or, you know, just the ego part of like, oh, this guy rejected my shit. All right. Who cares? Like, would you rather just have a miss? You throw it way off the top of the glass to avoid the block which we can see sometimes too because it's like, I don't care if I miss this. I'm just going to throw it up there and see what happens. Uh, at 50-38, Sixers call a timeout with four forty one. After that timeout, as Missoula is mic'd up saying, let's win the quarter, let's win the quarter, Philly went on a 6-0 run. It's 50-44. to Honestly, even though there was like eight-point stretches and the halftime score wasn't insurmountable, it's only eight points, that 50-44 felt like the last time Philly really felt like a threat in the game. Halftime, as I said, 5749. Uh Boston is now plus 21 in threes, uh, eight of twenty-two versus one of thirteen for Philadelphia from deep. This is usually not an indication that the Celtics are leading. Smart had the most field goal attempts with 13 at the half. I think Jalen Brown had 12. And so you're wondering where this game is going to go. You're wondering where Tatum is. Tatum is having trouble with the fouls. Uh, We didn't get to see the replay on a charge, which I do think it was a charge. And then he ended up, I thought, picking up a third foul, but they gave it to Grant. He got his fourth foul later on by trying to chase Harden around a screen and he reached, which, you know, you shouldn't do because Harden's going to jump back into the arm. But. On this play, Tatum actually just got his arm caught into Embiid, and then it kind of like just got stuck, and then hit Harden. So Tatum had just a brutal night. We'll get to his final numbers a little bit later. But the third quarter, as much as I felt like Boston was in control of the game, it's still only an eight-point game. uh, Boston went bananas in the third; (laughs) they won it thirty-five to sixteen, and that was pretty much the game. You had an ugly pickup game phase in the fourth, and then that was only replaced by. Even uglier, somebody's going to get hurt last run of the day at the park. Ugly pickup game phase. Although Rob W. still in uh, at the five-minute mark of the fourth. Don't quite get that one. Uh, Some criticism of Maxie today because of the loose ball stuff. And now this is the second time I've noticed this in the series, that when Doc says, hey, it's the loose balls, they're getting everything, that was part of it. I mean, the shooting's really not something you're going to be able to survive with. And we'll get to those final shooting numbers here in a bit. But if you notice the times where Maxie doesn't get a loose ball or is ball watching a bit, like I just don't like how consistently NBA players will lose somebody in a box out. Like you're just supposed to find somebody. Put your arm out there. But guys don't do it. Maxie's guilty of it because Maxie's waiting to get the outlet and go. So Maxie, who is such a problem in transition, like it's it's helpless, and it's not like he's the biggest. He's so quick, and you can see the defender backpedaling. There are times I feel like he drives one on two, and he still has the advantage. That's how good he is. How good he is at it. So I'd say to Philly fans, there's some clips certainly that look like he could have given you more effort, but I don't know that you get those fast break breakouts from him because as soon as the ball is up, he is dialed in of trying to get out on the break and give you something in transition, which I think is a really important part of their offense because they're just easy points and you have a huge advantage of it. So this game's over. Tatum won a seven, seven points. Uh, Each fan base can play the game of, well, hey, Boston's up, or excuse me, Boston's tied 1-1 here. They win this one big. They were clearly more dominant. Embiid looks rusty, and Tatum's not going to go one for seven again, so this has to feel great. Okay, you could do that. But every box score has multiple examples of this being baked in where you would think, well, that's not going to happen again, where you want to keep all the positives and then think only the negatives will improve. Where Philly on the other side is going, wait, we shot it better than anybody from three all season long, 38.7% from distance, number one in the NBA, and they shot six of 30 last night. Boston was 20 of 51. So you could look at that and be like, hey, that's not going to happen again. And it's likely that wouldn't happen again. What's a little scary, though, if you're Philly, is 20 of 51, as good as that number is, man, were they wide open last night. These are wide open. Like, this could have been worse. Uh, another probably not going to repeat itself. I'm not a big, when somebody doesn't play well in the playoffs and has an awesome game like Harden did, we gave him his credit, but the flowers, bullshit. Don't quite get that. Uh, Harden, 2 of 14, 0 of 6 from 3, 4 assists. Eight to ten free throws. I track the Harden bullshit foul counter at my house. It's not an officially recognized stat. You won't see it anywhere else. I don't. I told myself, don't share, don't share. I'm going to share it. I had five. Could be wrong. TNT's not showing replays of fouls. Like, is, is it zero? No, the number's not zero, but they're not showing them. Uh, it's very frustrating because sometimes I need to see these. And so then I have to rewind it, but I like that slow motion, different angle kind of thing. They they did have the uh the drone flying around, and that sucked. No one liked that very much. Um, maybe we're overreacting. So if you ask about the Harden part of this, you go, is there a real issue here of the eight days off versus only one day off? I'd imagine for Harden at this stage. Yeah. But you know what? He's probably gonna have another big game at some point because he is good enough to do it. It's just sustaining it and then what he will look like in a game six or a game seven if this series goes that far, which, you know, probably feels like it will. Because you're going to get something better from Embiid. He's just, you'd think he's going to be better unless this injury is as bad as maybe he was hinting at afterwards. And again, I don't know. I don't know. His quote was, the way we saw it with what I have, it's supposed to be out four to six weeks or something like that. So if you're a Boston fan, you're like, well, what are you talking about? He's hurt. He's not playing well. Rosillo, you talk about Harden's playoff history all the time. So maybe game one's a fluke, like Boston all the way. I don't know. Maybe. I've also watched this Boston team who I do think at times, like, this is what they're capable of, but I'm not in love with them. You know, there was no dominant team this year. It's playing out that way in the playoffs. And for those that are newer listeners, okay, and shout out to a record-breaking episode—I uh, think six weeks ago, 1.3 million listeners. For new listeners, if I had, you know, in robes and tiva days, a stone mason write up my commandments, I would—I would say, like, this is the most important thing you have to understand about playoff basketball. And I said it at the top because I thought it was a really interesting stat now with game one losers at home now 15-0 in the last 15. Every game is connected. You cannot pretend you're down 0-1 when you're up 1-0. Especially when the teams, there's not some massive gap between them. Yes, I think Boston's better. I thought we saw some stuff in the regular season. Sure, you could argue Tatum hits the game winner. If that doesn't go in, you know, maybe the whole thing is split, the Embiid toss. You know what I mean? Like, I know we can all do these things all day. I do think Boston's better. Atlanta was alarming at times. So I wonder about the closing toughness. Maybe this is just their individual series of tests, and they'll be stronger for it. I would have thought that would have happened in the finals last year. Uh, whether letting Atlanta get back into some of those games where it felt like Boston was in control. It's like, how many times can you do that if you think you're actually going to be playing in the NBA Finals? This also for both fan bases as you watch Miami and New York, or who knows, good luck with that one. I have no idea how Miami was still competitive, although the lack of a on-ball creator late, like an elite guy, the guys we all freak out about, the guys we always want to trade for, or the guys that always demand the trades, uh, the reason why we talk and spend so much time on those dudes is because they are so incredibly important in these games, the last two or three minutes when everything is kind of breaking down. And when the Heat all of a sudden didn't have one, that I thought was the difference in game two, was New York evens that series. But if you're a Philly fan or you're a Boston fan, you're probably looking at a series going, this second round matchup kind of feels like the Easter Conference Finals. Dismissive, yes. Honest, also yes. So back to my tenant here of everything being connected. We fall for it all the time, we see the game one results, the only result we have to look at and we go, alright wait, you know, what's what's going on here? Is, 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 are all these, no, these things are not going to happen because you can't fake being desperate. The reason why if two teams are matched and it's 0-2 there's no way, despite all the pregame routine and all the mic'd up coaching stuff and all the timeouts all the cliche shit that is said over and over and over again, if the other team that's down 0-2 is like close to you in ability and talent they're just going to play harder unless they have no soul whatsoever, and there's all sorts of things going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, so to see this series evened up, you know, look if it went the other way, right? What if Boston held on to game one, Philly comes back, they're more energized, they're more desperate this see this series is one one going back. It's the same one one finality of the two games in Boston, but you know it's it's probably just more of a bummer today if you're in Philadelphia, but you know. If you were down 0-2, you'd probably get game three in Philly, looking at how this Boston team doesn't really seem to have that ultimate killer instinct that you'd want. And maybe you know we overrate or assume every team that wins an NBA title has that thing. So again, all games are connected. Last thought here on Embiid, because he didn't look great on offense last night, an alarming play to the third quarter where he got smart back for diving at P.J. Tucker where he just flattened him. That's the play with Embiid that drives me fucking crazy. He's got Smart on him, and Smart's probably better against post players than he is some of the quickest guards. Although nobody's great against the the quickest guards in the league, so Smart actually has the Embiid assignment. He's fighting with him. He's fighting with him. Embiid gets it down to just be on the right block, and Embiid has to realize at that point, like Horford's kind of roaming a bit, depending on you know who he's defending and who the sub pattern or what the sub patterns are for Philadelphia, and. And Embiid turns baseline as if he, like, did you really think you were going to have a clear look at it? I don't get why he he seems, because he actually can be a really good passer. Uh, And I know he had that bad turnover on that pass. He forced it, whatever, not a big deal. That's one of the things you don't play. I think he was gone for 12 days. Um, You know, stupid stuff like that will happen when you don't play for a while. But he turned into Horford. And those are the moments where I'm like, how can you not like, did you think no one was going to be coming over to help defend on you, especially when Horford's been kind of helping a little bit anyway. So uh, he crunched smart, whatever. That wasn't the game. The game was a million missed threes. Boston going crazy, having a good defensive approach to Embiid and Embiid looking a little rusty. Uh, I would not have uh, if you tell me, hey, they shouldn't have even played Embiid, give them the extra couple of days. I, I disagree cuz you also never know what's going to happen. Like some of the thoughts on punting on individual playoff games to be ready for the next playoff game, you only have 7 of these. <laughs> you have no idea. like weird shit happens. So I would never if my guy is cleared and yes going to be a little hurt, I go let's let's get him out there and see if he can't take two of these in Boston and then go back to Philadelphia. That's not what happened, but I have no issue with a coming back and playing. The NBA playoffs are here, and you can turn crossovers into cash with FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, right now, and place a $5 bet, and you'll get an instant $150 in bonus bets. All right, I have a bet I love, and I knew it was going to happen. I wanted to see what the number would be on FanDuel. And uh, this is a heavy advice. I don't know that I've ever done that in the history of this segment. All right, so the Celtics' series odds were pretty bad before the series started, and then when Philly got Game One, you were getting it. It wasn't even, but like what you'd have to pay out to get back your hundred bucks, you know, wasn't great because Boston was so heavily favored um, on some of the FanDuel stuff. And then it kind of flattened out a little bit after the first game. I'm not even proposing that one. I'm not even proposing laying the point point and a half on FanDuel right now for Game Three of Boston Philadelphia. What I'm proposing is Al Horford over one and a half made threes. Um, As I mentioned during the breakdown of game two, Horford taking threes and making Embiid have to respect that and defend it is a big part of what Boston's going to try to do. I don't think his eight attempts are a fluke. Uh, Eight is high, but it's also him going one for eight is more of a fluke than him actually taking eight. So I say game three, uh, the bet is minus 130 over one and a half on made threes for Al Horford. So. There you go. Very specific. Need to do that more often. Enjoy. I'm not even worried about the result. Enjoy. Start spending that money before you have it. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Just go to Fanduel.com slash Ryan R Y E and sign up to get $150 in sign up to get $150 in bonus bets when you bet your first five bucks. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 and older in present select states. First online real money wager. Only $10 deposit required. Refund issues now withdrawal. bonus bets expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com forward slash sportsbook gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG, Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-800-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut, one 800 9 it Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP- In Louisiana, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit mahelpline.org forward slash problem Gambling in Massachusetts. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-389 in New York. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Gilbert Arenas joins us again. Excited about this. He and Josiah Johnson Uh, Host Gil's Arena, which airs live Tuesday through Thursday, 11.30 a.m. Pacific time. That's 2.30 Eastern. It's part of the Underdog Content Network and available on YouTube, the iHeartRadio app, and everywhere podcasts are heard. I was watching some of the clips of uh, Gilbert last night, so he joins us. What's up, man? Good to see Uh, you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. All right, so I kind of just ended the start of the pod talking about Embiid and the decision there of of bringing him back. Certainly, he was rusty. He knows he's not going to be 100%. What did you see last night?
2: Same thing. um, You know, with Embiid, I always understood when it comes to certain team schemes, they're they're planning for certain guys. When it comes to the playoffs, the playoffs is really tricky because you you get this big old playbook of what everyone can do. And team structures defensively is around certain players and Embiid coming back rusty, um, still a little injured. Just winning a big award. Right. Um, all those emotions, you know, coming in, playing against a team that has his number, uh, that's had his number in the past in the playoffs. Um, I, I, I felt that he should have waited a little, little more, you know, for that home game um, where the crowd is behind him a little bit more so he can, you know, he can really, you know, feel that home love and, and, and come out and perform
0: yeah, Boston was definitely geared up and losing, feeling like they probably let Game One get away from them, too, so you knew they were going to come back. uh you know it's it's something that again, I talked about at the top that I believe in, in that if if the teams are pretty even, I always feel like the team that lost just comes back with something that the team that won can't can't replicate. You know, can you think back to some of the series that you'd played in, you know, I know <laughs> the playoff history? like I love that Cleveland series mm-hmm. so much. Uh, in 2006 what was what was the back and forth like that because you would actually even it up at two apiece through the first four
2: yes um for for a for a road team the easiest game to win is game one so you you really try to throw all your eggs on game one because you know that team they have the home crowd advantage they have more emotions than you do you just got to withstand any type of you know, run that they're going to throw at you. So, game one is usually the easiest one to steal. Game two, everyone's locked in. Um, you can usually give that to the home the home team, unless you're just a dominant uh, a dominant team. You know, with um, when it came to Cleveland, they, they, they outsmarted. They outsmarted. We didn't. The rest of we didn't understand as a, as a group how brilliant LeBron was how tactical he was back then. It took me, like, I'm watching him pregame. I'm watching him the night before, you know, we're hanging out and, you know, watching him study film and, you know, like, ah, you know, that's, yeah, that's, you know, I've seen people watch film on me and still get their ass whooped, right? But, But to understand our defense and understand his ability to tell his coach to sub out a player so we sub out a player, now LeBron has the advantage. Um, I didn't catch on to it until it was too late. Okay, so what did you need to catch on to earlier? Okay, so the way our lineup was is we had Brendan Haywood at the five, Jared Jeffries, who guarded him, was our four man, but guarded him at the three. Um, we had Antoine, who couldn't guard LeBron at the time, guarding um, Eric Snow. But what happened was, because we have a longer guy on him, who's 6'11", plus a 7-footer waiting for him, it was hard for him to finish at the rim like he wanted to. So what he'll do is, when he was ready to attack, he'll sub out Elgalskis. He'll he'll give the signal, have Elgalskis subbed out. We sub out Brendan. Now our backup is smaller than LeBron. So once LeBron got past um, Jared Jeffries, he had a 6'8 guy waiting for him. So when you look at all the game winners he made, our center was never there. And that's just one of those things that, you know, when coaches sub a player and then you sub yours to make it match, the one who's doing the subbing for you to move your guy is the one who has the game plan. You're just reacting to it.
0: Yeah, and for those that need a reminder here, uh, Gilbert averaged 47 minutes a game in that series, (laughs) 34-5. and 5 and lit it up from 3 on 8 attempts a game. What's your is there a favorite memory cuz they got the last two LeBron had the game winner. That was kind of like the first playoff moment for him in a way. It was just such a fun series and it felt personal and as him being a young player although it's not like you were that old when you were going back and forth. It felt like it was just I know what everybody thinks about the tears of where I am versus him but it, that series was kind of a reminder of like the top scores the guys like you at that time. You'd be like, everybody else can say whatever they think, but I'm not going into these games thinking that. Yeah, it, you,
2: when, when, you're, when, you, when you think about playoff, what makes a great playoff match is the two stars everyone coming to see are performing. And we both did that um, for that series. He just made bigger plays at the end of that game you know, that put them over the top. You know, um, he didn't fail. And, you know, when players, when they, when they talk about clutch, right, I'm a clutch player, right? So I understand what they're saying when they're talking about clutch. He's not clutch, but they're not understanding. Clutch also works with making the right decision also. That is still clutch too. Making the right decision that ends in the same results. He has that gene. Um, he might not want to be the one that will take a desperate shot to finish it. He might make the right pass, right? So it's it, it falls under the same category. And he just made just a little bit more plays than me. My favorite moment was when I hit the, I think it was game five, game six, when I hit the three to put it to overtime. And then the the worst, my worst moment is missing the two free throws in that overtime to get put out of the playoffs. So, the same within the five minutes,
0: (laughs) I became a hero and a villain. (laughs) Right. Clutch and then not clutch uh, within a very short amount of time. When I'm watching that Lakers Golden State series, I know when Golden State went small you know, that might be the thing people are looking for to do. I don't know if that's an answer over 48 minutes. You know, look, it's the first time Golden State lost a game where they made 15 more threes than their opponents. The free throw edge, which we knew was going to be a problem for Golden State, was pretty dramatic. 29 to 6. Uh, what did you think of the series before it started and after game one? Has anything changed?
2: Um, I broke it down back to to um, LeBron and his Cleveland days. I feel he has a better cast than he did when he was facing them, right? If you, if you take out Kyrie, right, who's just a difference maker, when you think about the rest of the lineup, the, the role players, the role players for the Lakers, they're, they're, they're better than what he was working with with Cleveland. And the fact that Golden State is not the same team. Yeah, they have the same three players, but they're not the same three players they used to be. The only player that's really better than he was then is Steph. Draymond is half himself of then. Uh, Clay, you know, he's still trying to figure out who he is, um, what type of player he is in today's game with the knee injuries and, you know, all of that. So he's not the same Clay, but, you know, with Anthony Davis and you have, um, you know, Reeves and all these role plays, they're better than that that last, that, that, that Cavs teams that Golden State was going against. So, I I have Lakers in five and six. I just don't think Golden State is that equipped these days. And um, I, I, you know you know LeBron and Steph is going to be LeBron and Steph. It's everyone else. Can everyone else still pu- pull their weight? And I don't think Golden State has the bench they used to have to do that.
0: Yeah, you know you go back and look at it because I pulled it up as you said it because I kind of was like,
3: hmm,
0: you know, did one of those <laughs> on you. Yeah. Um, this version of AD versus Kyrie actually is debatable yeah. it's just that Kyrie what he did in those last three games yeah. very few players could ever do in the NBA mm-hmm. finals which is why I think we still talk about the guy um, Kevin Love was if you look at the numbers they're okay if you watched it it was worse than probably what the numbers <laughs> feel like today because it just it was, it was a really weird time for Kevin Love where mm-hmm it wasn't it wasn't happening all the time for him. So as you said it, I honestly at first I was like okay, here we go. <laughs> we got him warmed up. <laughs> um it might it might not be crazy but like I the AD part like if if you're telling me this is what AD is going to be the rest of the playoffs, then yeah, I could see the Lakers capable of doing anything. And it's it's the irony for me is a little bit with him where I felt like I was still defending him all the time. I remember I went on with Colin Cowherd and he's like, isn't he just basically Rashid Wallace? And I was like, oh, or he has like the third highest PR in playoff history behind Jordan and LeBron prior to, you know, some of the more recent stuff, perhaps. So I've defended him and defended him, but I just couldn't imagine him staying healthy the whole time. But when he's engaged and when he's doing what he like, forget the block numbers. Like, Golden State would try, and it wasn't happening, which is also a reason why they're not going to get as many free throws because then you just start abandoning the entire deal of, of finishing at the rim against him, even if I think a plus 23 is a little absurd in a playoff game.
2: Yeah, well, you know, defensively, it's, if, if he's engaged, I mean, you know, when it comes to Kyrie, you're not going to, that, that last two-minute guy, you're going to lose that, that, you know, so you're going to lose the guy who can just make great shots in the last two minutes of a game to put you over top. But when it comes to defense, when it comes to just, you know, an offensive rebound or something like that, if Anthony Davidson give them a solid 25 and 15, and then you have Reeves and you you have a better squad. um, With Golden State, no one played bad. You know, we can't go into game two and I give these guys a speech and say, hey, right? you know, you know, just play a little bit you know, better. Uh, you guys played well. All the key players I need played well enough for us to win this game and we still lost. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things like like it's not like, you know, Steph played well and Clay didn't or Poole didn't. Everyone did their thing. Right. Reasonably. And, you know, you, you take a loss. So inside that kind of hurts a little bit. Um, so going out there saying, oh, you know, if we make 30 threes, you know, we, we can pull it out. Well, shit, if they make 10 threes, <laughs> they can pull it out. So it's, it's one of those things where you look at it from afar and say, mm, I don't see them getting to the free throw line 20 times. I don't see them abandoning what they do. Great is shoot. Shoot shots before they get fouled. Get—I mean—so it's one of those things. It's not like they have a James Harden, um, someone who knows how to collect free throws. It's not like Steph plays like Trey Young, where he understands how to get fouled. You know, you know—that's the difference between him and Trey. That Trey understands the the how to get fouled and do a lot of flopping, which would help Steph get to the free throw line more in this series. Um, but Steph respects the game too
0: much to do that. <laughs> look you're you we haven't ever hung out so like you're not realizing that you're hitting on like two real sore spots with me between the harden and the Trey free throw hunting because if everybody played that way then nobody would watch and the podcast would suck
2: what's so funny so, if everyone if everyone had the ability to play that way they would uh, <laughs> if, everyone, if everyone had the. remember jordan come on jordan made it famous
0: when he drove and used to do this to make it seem like he was getting slapped. Right. You bring the arm up into the defender's arm above yeah. you. Like Duncan used to do it like in a big spot when he needed it. If the post player had his arms up, he would, he would rip it. You know, he would only do it like when he felt like he needed to. I'm just telling you, I hate it, but yeah. you know, whatever. Like if, if they're going to call it. It's one of those things where
2: imagine finding a glitch, right? <laughs> it's I like
0: the word glitch. That's good. It's, I can handle that. Glitch,
2: it's a glitch in the game where human nature overexceeds a rule. Like I know if I'm driving this way, you're gonna have to cut me off. When you cut me off, I'm just gonna pull up. Right? It's just a it's just a glitch. It's just a glitch that, you know, the smarter. You have to be, you have to be intelligent. You have to understand the rules to figure out some of these glitch moves. Right, so we're not talking about you know when you're talking about Tim Duncan, you're talking about intelligence. You know, <laughs> Steve Nash, his intelligence on pick and rolls. It's you know the the the, the great ones really do understand the loopholes inside the NBA.
0: It was funny too with Steph as I thought he went foul hunting more last year towards the end when he felt like he needed like he'd have stretches where it was like all right I I know I need to do this a little bit more again. This is just you're right. I'm just complaining about it, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. Let's let's play the teammate game. Who would you rather be teammates with in a playoff series right now? Steph or LeBron? Ooh. Wow. Jesus Christ. That's that's like saying like Tom Brady or
2: Aaron Rodgers? Like, come on!
0: Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think you were going to go somewhere else there, and I appreciate the edit. So, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. no, no, no. Aaron, I'm just trying to say you can like like these two just make a like. A, yeah, sure, you sure. You can't go wrong, right?
0: Um, wait, wait. A- am I a player? Yeah, it's you. It's Gilbert Arenas playing. Man, I'll I'll say Steph, just because you feel like he's going to give you some more spacing, right?
2: Yeah, spacing. He moves the the way he plays the game. You're going to get a lot more tips. Um, you know, with 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 LeBron. You know, that fourth quarter um, game shortens, score shortens. I mean, he's the only guy in history that probably has in the quarter in that half. He's Averaging about ninety something in today's game, right? You you know, you can take the under on any halftime score that's like hundred and five and under. It is going to go under no matter what.
0: Um, Yeah, and I I think he had some late drives there too, where he was like, "Okay, I'm going to that energy reservoir here, and I'm I'm going to like." There's no one at the rim I'm afraid of. So you know, it was funny because as the Lakers switch out, pool for Looney, and Looney's had this amazing run. It was like, okay, LeBron's going to be looking for that because I feel like some Golden State side of it is oh, they found something with that run by going small. I don't think you're going to go small the whole time. It's not realistic. Um, Looney still is too good in certain ways. You've got to at least have somebody physically matching up with Anthony Davis, almost like running the football where you're like, it may not be the best version of us, but we have to get these minutes where he has somebody who's at least close to his size in there. But LeBron, knowing that that wasn't happening, then D'Angelo also had the big basket there too. Uh, Okay, let's. I have another one for you then. Um, Tatum or Booker? Come
2: on. Um, You know, Tatum wears zero because of me. So I got to (laughs) go. I got to go Tatum. Um, I got to go Tatum. But, you know, they're both. They're both great. They the the way the way, you know, there's just different realms the way, you know. Tatum plays the game is way different than Booker, right? You know, Booker is one-two get to a spot. He doesn't do a lot of dribbling, doesn't do a lot of messing with the ball. He's just gonna get to a spot, so he's gonna have more opportunities to play. Like when you're thinking about trying to be a second star to someone, you have to look. You have to look at the to possessions that those guys are playing at. I'd rather be uh, a second guy behind a guy who just quick shoots because there's more possessions in that game. Right, so I'd rather be, you know, a one-two combo with Devin Booker, knowing that there's still going to be
0: a, 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 I can, I I can still get my my sixteen to eighteen shots with him. There's an aggressiveness with Booker that I don't think Tatum has, Mm -hmm. and it's more of credit to just how, as you said, Booker's not screwing around. Yeah, like I'm going, like he's Um, he's trying to
2: get, he's trying to get to his forty. He doesn't care about the Sports Center
0: type of plays. He's just going to get to what he needs to get to. Booker also mixes it up with a lot of guys, and I don't know that he's looking for it. But then, sometimes he is. I don't know. It's it's weird. Like at the end of game two, you know, you got a little shoving match there. It was uh, it was Brown, I believe, and I was like, oh, that's right. And then he had the Luka thing. But I almost feel like a lot of times when Booker is getting into it with somebody, I'm like, oh, I think this one's actually justified. <laughs> yeah, you know, where other players are con you know, other guys that are always mixing it up with everybody. I'm like, what are you doing? With Booker, he's in this. I don't know that there's ever been another player where every time he's into it with somebody else, I'm like, yeah, I actually could see his point on this one. Maybe I just like him. I don't know. No, so usually he's he's because he's quiet, you know. Yeah. So when he does get the going, it's because you're you're messing with him a little bit too much. What do you think the problem is for Phoenix in this series against Denver? Um, probably they underestimate it. And
2: I think all of us are underestimating how good Denver is. Um, If you go back last three, four years, Denver in the playoffs have lost to either a team that won the championship or a team that went to the championship, right? So with 80% of their team, right? So they haven't had a full team when they've taken these L's. So now that you gave them everyone back, we're not understanding what that really looked like. And, you know, with the full team Joker playing, you know, the way he's been playing for the last three years. And Murray back, that gives them that that guy who can finish shots and the potential of 40 and 50. You know, he can carry a squad. It makes them it, it really enhances heightens their chances of actually taking it to the championship. And they move too much for Phoenix. You know, this is a game where Phoenix has to play solid defense. When you have someone like, Joe, when you're thinking about Joker, you're thinking about Steve Nash. You're thinking about John Stockton. You're thinking about Magic Johnson visual. The visual, he's finding players that you're not paying attention to back door. And so when you're talking about Booker and KD, you might not be guarding a great player defensively, But Joker is looking for your weakness defensively. You turn your head, you know, you look tired. He's looking for those guys. So that puts a whole nother element into your defensive um, strategy when you're guarding Denver. And I don't know if they're disciplined enough.
0: Okay, so that's a good segue in. Um, Who would you rather? Well, see, if I say who would you rather play with, Giannis or Jokic? You're yeah. gonna say Jokic. I mean <laughs> okay. cause, 'cause you're gonna your life is gonna be easier than yeah. passing. Uh speaking of Giannis, you caught an epic amount of shit um when you said he doesn't really know how to play basketball, I'm paraphrasing a bit. And then you you've cinched changed your position on that. The timing was on your side with him exiting. Uh, look, just to be fair, I, I was like, What the hell is he talking about? Um do you think American players have a harder time or perhaps more critical of the international players no not really because usually the international
2: players have the advantage of being more um well-rounded in the game of basketball so there's this thing like everyone here glorifies hoopers right hoopers is not basketball there's a difference hooper and a basketball player two different to do two different people right a basketball player understands Basketball.
0: Probably like Deion Waiter's hooper. Yes. Yeah, you know, Jordan Poole is a hooper. Um, <laughs> um, no, I get yeah, right. No, like you, like you, you know what a hooper is. Someone it's just, a guy at a pickup game that you're like, is he a Hall of Famer?
2: Yes, right. So <laughs> right. the the Lucas and you know, the Jokic and the uh, Steve Nash and those guys, the Dirts, those are basketball players. So international are bringing basketball players. Giannis is a hooper, right? And the difference between him is he has this heart that just is unstoppable. Um, has nothing to do with his ability. So when I say he's not a he doesn't understand basketball, he doesn't understand like if I and I said like, give him Tim Duncan's mentality, basketball-wise. I'm like, oh, he would be the greatest thing. That's all I'm fucking saying. I'm not saying that the kid can't play. Obviously, he knows how to play the game, but. Does he know, does he understand how to play the game? Because if he did, he wouldn't, he wouldn't know that you're 16 out of 107 or 120 from jump shots and threes against Miami. They're doing something that you're not paying attention to and you haven't understood that yet or you would have cleaned this part of your game up. You will understand at some point you just can't keep driving full court trying to do a year on everybody. You're going to have to evolve this game. So when I look at his weaknesses and strengths from when he was getting drafted and say, okay, what is it now? Oh, same weaknesses, same strength. All you had done is gotten bigger, meaner, and nastier as, a, as, a, as, a, as just a human, <laughs> right? And, you know, it's, it's, has he understood the elements where the double team is coming from? What is a pull-up, right? You know, I don't need to, and I need to save my body, save my energy for the fourth quarter. And right now he's like, he's like a young Westbrook. He's just playing this game. He's just that gifted where he's just playing the game hard. And I, when you say, hey, go out there, and just play hard. That's what he's doing.
0: Okay. That's, um, <laughs> I, have, I have a lot there because there's a lot of it that I agree with. And the problem for your argument though, is that he won, Right. And because he won, it means you can't be right. That, but that's not a great argument. <laughs> <laughs> well, or maybe it's the best argument, which, again, I would push back because I think, you know, as soon as you win, it's like, oh, no, no. Like, everything you do works because I forever held fast on Durant is better than Giannis. Like, give me a break. He's just better. Like, the handle, the size. I know I can get a jumper from him if everybody loads up to that side. Like, Giannis can't do those things. One, Durant got hurt all the time. And then two, what Giannis did not only in the finals run in winning, but you know, for listeners know how much I loved him after the Milwaukee lost to Boston last year in the second round where I went, I think he's the rare player who physically, you know, it's very shackish where I don't need all those extra skills. Physically, there's nothing you can do with me because of the how my body type and as you point out, the determination, the nastiness, the meanness to him which is what I love. But the Westbrook part of it's funny because I'm not a huge Westbrook guy because I'll be like, well, look, some of those teams are pretty good. Like that Jazz series loss, where it was he and Paul George? There's no way you should lose the young Donovan Mitchell against that Jazz roster. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the Westbrook approach is great for stats. And over the course of the regular season, you're in with some games <laughs> because he does have more energy than anyone ever. I think he's like on a very short list of the greatest athletes that have ever played in this game. But I don't know if the teammates enjoy as much. And when your teammates aren't as enjoying it as much, and they're not going to be as engaged. And then I think the teammates around Westbrook felt like they now all of a sudden just like, wait, you're asking me to take this shot after six months of never like me never getting this. Mm-hmm. So the difference, I still think Giannis is more of a willing teammate than Westbrook ever was despite me. Like I totally get it because this kind of one mindedness full throttle the entire time. Um, I get the comp there. I get what you're saying. Yeah, no, when, when it
2: comes to Giannis and just on the court, his work, I would never question. Like, as a teammate, there's nothing you can, like, I would never second guess nothing he does because, you know, his personality, his work ethic, his determination, just to see his body transform, just the way, you know, he just gives it a 1,000% every night. I would never question that. Right. that That is not what the question is. My thing is. You have this gift here. Right. So this is this is how I look at when I look at greatness. And, you know, we have Michael Jordan. We know what. The elements of. Talent, body and, you know, dedication looks like. Right. And when I look at Giannis and I'm like, if you if you just. Thought the game and slowed the game down in moments like Tim Duncan, who would you be, right? Embiid, if you had Giannis's engine, who would you be, right? What what Giannis possessed? That's just that's just effort for you. You're skill wise, you're way more talented. This guy, when it comes to just pure basketball, if you had his his love for this game, what it would be. He will be a whole different player. And then it's like, well, you know what? If I can just give Giannis your skill, (laughs) just give him your skill, work on your skill, like, you know, and be, who would you be? And that's, that's what I end up doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I look for what can make you the ultimate guy, because that's who you're supposed to be trying to be like.
0: Okay. So this, this is a good, like pivot into something else. And I have a few more things before we say goodbye to you today, but. Like when I watch Jimmy Butler in the playoffs, like everybody else, you go, okay, are we, because I I think like any of us, even though it can be obsessive and repetitive and maybe not that original all the time, like I'm always thinking about, okay, that first tier group, right? That first tier, how many players could you actually say this guy could be the single best player in the league? And it's not a crazy statement, right? Mm -hmm. So whether it's Giannis at times, Durant certainly, some nights with Embiid. You know, I'm not going to just start writing off Luca here all of a sudden, despite the problems they had at the end of that year. And then it kind of, you know, it, it pivots into some some other guys, although I feel like I'm forgetting somebody right now. Um, But then you watch Jimmy Butler and like, OK, well, I know I'm not supposed to say he's like top three in the league. But then it's like, well, should I be saying this more often about him when and Jokic, obviously Jokic, who has the two MVPs? I apologize for not having that off the top of my head. What do you do with Jimmy Butler when you're talking to your buddies about who he is in this game?
4: <laughs>
0: Jimmy Butler is the guy that will cringe
2: your starting fives. And when you're trying to make up starting fives and, you know, and someone throws in Jimmy Butler, then it makes you think, what, what do you know that I don't know? Because when you think about Jimmy Butler, you think about regular season, you know, just like anything. And he's never going to go on anybody's radar. During the regular season, because he reminds me of um, a more advanced Scottie Pippen offensively to Jordan, where he's like a, a third or second option to very, very dominant guys. And in the playoffs, he becomes this number one option that no one is prepared for. Right? No, one is pre- no one's ever prepared for playoff Jimmy Butler. Right, I, I told on a scouting report, there will never be a scouting report on what Jimmy does during the regular season. I will go every year, his playoff stats, his playoff, all synergy reports on Jimmy will be just from the playoffs to prepare for him for the playoffs. Uh, forget his regular season numbers because these numbers do not match the play. It's like really Clark, uh, with Kent Clark and Superman, two different human beings. Um, Jimmy Butler regular season, Top 20. <laughs>
0: top 20 regular season. Playoff, the win, playoff Jimmy Butler, top five. Right. And look, Steph could potentially be back in that, you know, LeBron, there'll be some weird, if LeBron's in the finals, there's going to be some weird, like, why do we have six guys ahead of this dude? <laughs> um, we all know the game and how it works. All right, last two things. This Dylan Brooks story is, is weird for a bunch of different reasons. Like, he asked for the attention, he got it, and then he didn't want it. Um, <laughs> then we had the weird quote about the team saying under no circumstance. As soon as I saw that quote, the first time I was a little dubious of it. Cause I thought that's a pretty buttoned up front office. I don't feel like there's a lot of wild cards there. Why would they say that? So specifically, mm-hmm. so then it became everybody likes Dylan Brooks in defending him. Cause they were mad at the team. And now there's basically some. Questioning on where that quote actually came from and who said it and how it was sourced. so I don't know. I thought the whole thing was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, because I bet you there's a good story in there, what was your nastiest exit from a team? <laughs> <laughs> it was It was um
2: it was Orlando, right? We're, we're having um the exit meeting. We're having an exit meeting, and you know, I just got off, you know, I just got in trouble. You know, with the uh, locker room stuff, so and I got traded to Orlando, so I'm on my best behavior, right? You know, I'm on my best behavior, so I'm not trying to ruffle no feathers here, And, you know, just watching Stan, just you know, eat up, just he just eating up the just the the self esteem of all the players, and I'm seeing, like, how, how are you guys just letting this, come on, Dwight, just tell him, like, you're the captain, shut the fuck up over there, like, just do something, because, like, I have the, you know, I got J.J. Red I got Turk, and I'm trying. Like, you know, I'm trying to pep these guys up, and stand. there yes, yeah, what are you doing, how do you have a girlfriend, and you play like this, and it's just one of those things, like, oh my god. So at the end of the, uh, <laughs> At the end of the the uh, season, and I have an exit meeting. Woo! Like I had to, I had to really just because you know S- Stan is he's an amazing person until it's time to go. When it's time to go, he turns into a whole nother. He's an a hole for real. Like it's like like he's laughing with you. Hey guys, oh hey, how you doing, Gil? As soon as the uh, horn comes, he pretends he don't even know you anymore, and it just he just goes into just demon time. So. I have him now in his element, right? And I just been loading up just loading up uh, like like just one liners and stuff. So, um so he, you know, so we start talking and I just start just cutting, just cutting deep. Like yeah, you're a very great X's and O's coach. Horrible people person. You're just a horrible fucking I guarantee your neighbors don't like you. You're just that type of guy where your neighbors don't like you. You, you, you probably don't get along with any of your kids because you're just that type of person. Right? And I'm just going. I was like, you know, I'm probably not going to be here next year. <laughs> right? After I finished it, I was like, that, that, that felt good. That, that, that felt good. And, you know, Stan, and the problem with Stan is, you're right. Yeah, you're, you're right. He knows that he has problems. He just don't want to change.
0: <laughs> so your exit interview, you got to the point where you told Stan Van Gundy his kids probably don't like him.
2: Yeah, it was one of those, like, you're, you're just a horrible, like, just people person. Like, how are you this great ex? Like He will draw up, like, when it comes to plays, top three. Top threes on getting an open shot. You're talking about, like, last second shot. You got .6 to two seconds on the clock. Besides Phil Jackson, I'm like, uh, Stan, draw this up, right? I trust Stan. Draw, draw this last play up. He's going to get you a play. When it comes to talking to human beings, mm-mm. you do not
0: want him as a therapist. <laughs> you don't want him as a therapist. <laughs> How impressionable was Dwight to you coming into this and then going like, wait, maybe Arenas is right here. So me
2: and, me and Dwight, we, we were on USA Basketball um, together, you know, we were dita guys together. So we already like, um, you know, we already had a bond. So, you know, me and him clicked better. Um, and I know with him, it was more just, you say something, <laughs> you, you say something, you know, you know, me like me, Jameer Nelson, we all, you know, I have, um, Rich, uh, Jason Richardson over there. So I'm, I'm cool with the guys cause I go fishing there in the summer. So, you know, I think it was one one of those times where they wanted me to really, like, challenge Stan, but I wasn't really mentally in that space to really, you know, physically I'm not who I used to be, so I can't back it up with play, <laughs> all right? I can't back up my my barking back with the coach, like, come on, hey, you can't talk to the teammates like this, right? You know, y- you are talking to him, I need him, so you got to stop that shit. Like, like, I'm the only time I'm going to get you know, with the, the coaching staff is to protect the player. Right. So me and my high school coach, like we had that debate. Look, if I don't yell, I'm at him as a player, don't yell at him as a coach. Right. Right. That, that's how we do it. There's time and places where you talk to players like, you know, this, this crowd stuff, embarrassing them. Everyone can't take that. You know, I was big on, do not embarrass the player in front of everyone. Just like a referee don't, they don't want to be embarrassed in front of the world. You know, so, you know, when he's yelling at Ryan and, you know, calling, you know, everyone names, like I have to pass these guys the ball. So if they're mentally not there in the game, like you're doing it just justice, you're hurting the team, you're hurting me as a player because I need these guys. So I I really didn't like that part of Stan.
0: Wow. Okay, so I have another little quick follow up because I remember when the deal for you and Rashad Lewis went through and I was like, well yeah, I guess. Like, did you go, yeah, if I'm gonna get traded, it's because of these contracts. Um
2: the the contract, you just got John Wall, right? Um, you know, you know, Ted, you know, Leonis, um, you know, he was in that pickle, right? What do I do? Like, you know, I think there was a fan vote and the fans said bring him back. So he was like, Oh, I gotta bring him back. <laughs> right. And, you know, it was me. It was like I think if I mentally was like, okay, I'm here. This is where I want to be um, Ted with it. They would have never traded me because, you know, I was the heart of the city at that time, but, but I wasn't mentally there. I was doing Ted at this justice, you know, um, I, I, my, <laughs> you know, me and John wall was, you know, me and John wall were, were tight. Anything he needed, you know, I was going to give it to him, you know, in any game, but when it came to just the the whole outfit of the, I even grew the facial hair out so they couldn't put me on the posters anymore. Like that, that's how mentally. So when you see that picture of me with the hair, it's because I don't want you to put me on the posters. I'm, I'm good. I'm done. Um so when I got traded, it was more of I get to be myself. I was in Orlando before the trading. I heard that I was gonna get traded. I booked my own, I took a pair of shoes, booked my own flight, and I was, I was in the arena working out in their practice facility. Before the, the, the trade happened, they were just gonna have to kick me out and say, "Yeah, we didn't pull it out," and I was gonna have to fly back. I didn't care. <laughs> I just, I just wanted a fresh
0: start. Right? It's just like, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I know it was a, like, no. Nobody- hey, that's look, that's you though. I mean, let's not like that is not a surprising <laughs> story. Be like, you know, in a way, you could spin it positively. Like, that's how committed I was to yeah. the Magic, <laughs> right? <laughs> You're the man. <laughs> I love this. This was great. Uh, say hi to Josiah for me, and uh, we'll catch up again. All right? Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I know we went a little longer than I thought, but thanks, dude. I hope you had fun. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. All right. This episode is supported by State Farm. So, look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first, you're like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now, by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it has been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is, I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call? Old school guy probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I didn't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient The Long Road is written by Steve Hyden, who also did the book on Radiohead. We had him on in the past. We're fired up to have him on again. The Long Road is about Pearl Jam, which is not at the same tier. It's a little Jimmy Butler to my Steph Curry as far as bands go. But I remember where I was when 10 came out. I remember being at the CD shop that I worked at in high school and listening to it on repeat over and over and over again. Uh, It's the only kind of moment you can have with a band, I think, when you're younger. But that moment was there for me, even though there were other bands that I liked a little bit more. So, uh, Steve, good to see you again, man. Thanks for doing this. Well, thank you for having me. It's always great to be on the show. Okay, just even though I know you've done other stuff. I, I love the way you kind of tell the story, which is odd for me, because when you sent me the book, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get into it that much. I don't think I care about Pearl Jam all that much. And then after I got done with it, it took me back. It took me back all these memories and how I used to think about all these different bands and all this great music. So let's go back to those those early days. Eddie Vedder's in San Diego kind of working just at like a, a music venue. Give me the origin of him getting linked up with the members of Pearl Jam.
4: Well, it's. A big part of their origin story like in the book i joke about how whenever you see a batman movie you always have to see bruce wayne's parents get killed uh and the 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 tape story it's it's called the mama son tape it's the bruce wayne's parents getting killed part of the pearl jam story basically uh stone gossard and jeff Amett were in this band called mother love bone that was uh really positioned to be like the next big thing and in rock music in in 1990 and then their uh lead singer Andrew Wood uh dies uh of a heroin overdose so they are basically stranded uh they feel like uh their career the career music is over uh there's a funny uh Jeff Ament line where he talks about I forget I think it's like the uh Washington Bullets or something he likens his music career to Uh, that team because they just could never get it together and he felt like that was true for him but Stone Gossard he starts woodshedding all this material uh, that ends up being the big songs basically on the first Pearl Jam record and uh, all they need is a lead singer and they're trying to find someone that they they can plug into the band and they end up hearing about this guy Eddie Vedder who as you said was working in San Diego and was languishing in obscurity down there they get hooked up with him they send him uh these instrumentals he goes surfing comes back and he ends up writing alive uh the song once which is the uh, first song on uh, 10 and another song called footsteps and that's basically the beginning of the band like they hear his voice and You know, the lightning crashes and all the sort of magical things that you see in music biopics occur. And, you know, from there, they're pretty much off and running.
0: Seattle uh, at the time, you know, it it was a very, it's just so weird to go back to remember just kind of how we felt about it all. It's like you were a kid and you'd go like, oh man, Seattle. Like people were going, yeah, I want to go to Seattle now (laughs) because of the music scene. Um, which sounds kind of crazy, but also not that weird. I mean, yeah. maybe his generation did it with San Francisco, right? But Eddie's not a Seattle guy, and it seems like the Seattle people with all of the roots and all the different musicians that came out of there, it's kind of like, well, who's this guy? He's not from Seattle. Now he's kind of representing the Seattle sound. It seemed like there was a lot of pushback, maybe from him, but then others, whether it was Cornell, were like really supportive of him because he was so talented.
4: Yeah, you know, the Seattle thing is really interesting because. Like you said, there are other instances of that in music history, like where all these bands are associated with a particular town in a moment in time. And really that's something that doesn't happen anymore. Basically in the post-internet era, um, it kind of feels like everyone is from nowhere in at least in terms of like indie music or rock music. Um, but yeah, Seattle, I think, was a big part of Pearl Jam's appeal. And it's interesting with them, because you're right, they weren't in the city looked at as like the standard bearers of, of, of the local music scene. In a lot of ways, they were kind of seen as like carpetbaggers. I mean, at least like that's how like Kurt Cobain talked about them, even though again Stone Gossard and Jeff Amit had this long history of making music in Seattle in the 1980s. Um but like if you watch the early uh videos, not just for Pearl Jam, but like of Temple of the Dog. That whole era, that feeling of community, I think, is really put forward. Like, like the early Pearl Jam videos are, are like live performance videos, and I think, you know, I could say this for myself. Like, part of the appeal of the band was that, like, you wanted to be in the audience for for these shows. You know, like they would show the like if you watch the video for Evenflow, for instance, like they show the crowd almost as much as the band, and this might be hard for people to wrap their heads around now because media is so omnipresent. And if you like an artist, you can go on their Instagram, you can go on YouTube. It's really easy to see your favorite artists now, but back then, um, you know, you'd watch the video for Evenflow, and it, it was like an advertisement for their live show and the live show being representative of like a certain kind of community that like for someone like me living in the middle of Wisconsin was so, enticing and so different from you know what was going on in my own backyard so it was about the music but it was also about i think again like this kind of world that was foreign to like a lot of people uh in the middle of the country I'm glad you brought up um, Jeff and Stone and their background because, like
0: you described it, really well. And I want to get to the Nirvana piece here in a second, but it was this animosity because they're blowing up. It's happening so fast, right? It's all together. Ten is a brilliant album, start to finish. It flows. You talking about how the Who had influenced Eddie Vedder? When I think about, like, I'm always surprised. Like, there's not somebody that's not doing more concept albums. You know, whether it was me (laughs) listening to Joe's Garage because at first, like, I hated Zappa. I was like, this is so weird, so stupid. And then I started understanding like what he was doing, and I would still say there's some Zappa that I go, no thanks, not for me. But like Zappa <laughs> right. at his best, I can't get enough of it. But right. it felt cool to be a teenager to be sitting there with the liner notes and listening to Joe's Garage start to finish, understanding what Tommy was, understanding Quadrophenia, you know. And I know that other people have had concept albums. I don't, you know, whether it's the Smashing Pumpkins deal of, but it's when it's done right, it's great. In ten. Was it more it was more of a concept album than I think we even realized at the time. I was just I couldn't get enough of it. It felt different. But it was also, you know, depending on your age, I'm like 16, 15 going into 16. Like every year is so important at that time because you feel like, oh, this is the year I'm like this, and this year I'm like now I'm understanding this. And now there's this music kind of outlining these these thoughts and everything going kind of fast for me of like the things that I like and the things that I don't like. So there's There's no other band that would, whether it was Nirvana, whether it was Pearl Jam, and then obviously my love of hip-hop, but there wasn't anything that was ever going to be as important to me uh, at a different age as it was at that age. And so as impressed as I was with it all, and as I mentioned, as as fast as it was happening, there seemed to be, I don't know, was there resentment towards Eddie where it's like, wait, he's the face of all of this, and so many of these songs were
4: our songs? Well, you know, the thing with Pearl Jam... In terms of like the backlash and this is one of the things i was really interested in in writing about this band is that pearl jam was popular in a way that like no rock band now is even close to being like they were a band that could sell a million records in one week you know they were doing taylor swift numbers and i think they achieved a level of ubiquity in the early 90s that not even like a band like Nirvana, I think achieved like Nirvana was a big band and there were a lot of people inspired by Nirvana, but Pearl Jam, like as a radio band and as an MTV band, there was almost like a genre created that was based on ripping off Pearl Jam's first record. You know, there's so many bands like that post grunge era where you've got uh you know first creed the nickelback and then bands like fuel and days of the new and there's so many other bands like that that we could mention many of which have been forgotten over time uh you know thankfully but you know they all had huge hits at the time and they were all kind of based on doing like what pearl jam did on that first record you know especially after pearl jam kind of backed away from that a little bit on their subsequent work and got a little stranger and a little less commercial uh so not only do you have these like really popular Pearl Jam songs, but you have so many bands that sound like that. And it just creates a level of exposure where at some point, people are just like enough, like enough, like grumbly lead singers, enough like people who act like they don't want to be famous. You know, it, it almost became a cliche, uh, like super quickly. And for reasons that weren't entirely their fault or even like mostly their fault.
0: All right, there's a million things I, I, I can't just, I could do 30 minutes maybe just on everything you were talking about because <laughs> the yarling Eddie Vedder thing inspired so many terrible singers to think they could be singers that I don't know that we'll ever see another moment like that in the history of music. Like the yeah. number of the guys were like, if I could just impersonate that, like maybe I can pull this off. And I'm not even talking about guys that got record deals. I'm talking about like people I knew. <laughs> <laughs> right.
4: I got this. Exactly. Um,
0: yeah. And and, it's like, look, I like Nirvana more, and it may have only been because the first time I heard Teen Spirit, I went, okay, like, what is this? Right? It it was, it was, you know, it made me think of like the first time my dad told me walking around the the village and hearing about this band Led Zeppelin, and then just walking in off the street to go see Led Zeppelin, and being like, are you fucking kidding me? And I was in the back of a car. Somebody was driving. It came on. I had to have it. I ordered it the next day. The guy made fun of me at the record store because it was a naked kid in a pool. He was like, you (laughs) like this stuff? And I was like, I don't, you know, I can't believe what I heard. And then I thought they were a little weirder, maybe a little edgier. But maybe I give Nirvana credit retroactively for not having the later stage of their career where their songs weren't going to be as good or their songs weren't going to be as important to me as Pearl Jam. You know, like in a weird way, how we judge bands, the longer your window could go, which should speak to your success, can be held against you, which doesn't make any sense.
4: Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, and I'm trying to think of like a good sports analogy with this, because in sports, if an athlete puts together a long career, I mean, that is a good thing. I mean, we we judge athletes by... Do you win a championship? Do you win multiple championships? Like putting together a resume is really important. In music, however, having a long career can hurt your credibility a little bit. Because, you know, the thing about Kurt Cobain is that he will always be 27 years old. You know, he's always going to be this really good looking, cool, mysterious figure who only... Put out classic albums you know like there's not a lot of blemishes on his record and there never will be you know there's just he's always going to be the most iconic person of, of that time and i have a similar thing to you i remember the first time i saw the video for smells like teen spirit it's like a lightning bolt moment for people our age it's the equivalent of baby boomers when they talk about seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, you know, like that's our Ed Sullivan moment hearing. So I was like teen spirit for the first time and Pearl Jam doesn't have that. You know, they just don't, they've had a longer career. Even 10 was a record. It blew up relatively early in their life. I mean, they'd only been a band for a couple of years by the time that album was really big, but that album had like a relatively slow build. Like it came out 91, uh, about a month before Nevermind did, but it didn't really blow up until about a year later. Like 92 was when. that summer 92 and yeah, 93. Right? right. That was like Pearl Jam mania. And again, going back to what I was saying before, um, I mean, there was less media back then, but the media that was around, I think was more impactful. Like the fact that the Jeremy video was on MTV all the time. I don't think you can approximate that kind of impact now, just in the more diffuse media that we have now. It's like with MTV, if you were a kid and you were watching that all the time, like you could not avoid that, you know, and it's implanted in your brain, whether you like Pearl Jam or not. you know. And like nowadays, it's so easy to avoid stuff you don't like, you know, but back then it'd be like, well, I don't like this Jeremy video, but there's nothing else to watch. So I'll just wait four minutes until this is over and then maybe something else will come on that I like. You know, people don't need to do that anymore. You don't need to sit through things you don't like anymore. Uh, So it just changes, I think, the level of kind of impact that things like that have.
0: Why was Cobain so
4: lame about
0: it? Because, you know, at the time, I probably, because I like Nirvana, would be like, yeah, good for him. Like, Pearl Jam 10's good, but they're not, they're not as cool as Nirvana is. Where, you know, look, Kirk Cobain was dealing with clearly a lot of stuff, but it was also looking back on it, kind of dickheadish of him to say some of the stuff he said about those guys. Like it just wasn't cool, especially when, as you point out, Jeff and Stoner, are like, dude, are you serious? Like we've been, we've already been doing this in this town, and you run the town now.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of things. I think you know, there was a legitimate antipathy that he had towards their music. He just wasn't a fan. Of like what they were doing, and you know Pearl Jam, you know, to compare them again to Nirvana, like you were saying earlier, Nirvana was like a little weirder, a little edgier, a little more punk rock, whereas Pearl Jam essentially is like a seventies rock band, you know, in a nineties context, like they look like. The Who or Aerosmith or Led Zeppelin, they kind of are structured that way. You've got like the cool lead singer, you have like the hotshot guitar player, you know, all the sort of conventions of like classic rocker and Pearl Jam. So like if you are a punk rock person who feels like I have to be against that kind of thing, like Pearl Jam was an easy target. I think some of it too was that Pearl Jam quickly became more successful than Nirvana, you know, so there was probably a little bit of uh, like rivalry thing going on. There's also like another thing where this is like a thing that I don't think exists anymore, but it was true back then that like Jeff Amitt in particular, I think like Cobain had a problem with Amitt because Amitt was like a jock basically. Like he liked to play basketball. He was this athletic guy. And back then I think there was more of a separation between the jocks and like the artistic people. Like you couldn't, be both. You had to choose a side, which is so dumb now. Cause I, I i mean, I don't think that exists these days. I I don't get that sense. Uh but back then I think that was like more of a thing. so it was like Jeff Amit was like this jock guy in the local scene. And I think that just kind of triggered something in Cobain that he didn't like. You know, so I think that was part of it. I think it had more to do with Amit really than it had to do with Eddie Vetter. You know, those two guys are kind of put against each other, but it seems like Vedder and Cobain got along pretty well, Yeah, actually. right. I, I think
0: it's pretty clear what Eddie Vedder thinks of Kurt Cobain, like with great reverence. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, it's so- all
4: one way. Like, yeah, he would never diss Cobain. It was always Cobain trashing Pearl Jam in interviews. Okay, I like what you talked about, though. Like,
0: just understanding. I mean, whether it's a younger age, you can be like, all right, we're all impressionable. But look, it even happens when you're older. I don't know if it ever truly goes away, but like deciding on what's cool and what isn't. So if I was like, okay, I really like Nirvana because I think they're the coolest. I'm like, look, I got to admit, I love Pearl Jam because, well, I'm going back to like my teenage self where I was like, I thought Pearl Jam was a little too poppy, a little too polished. And then it also becomes like who likes them versus who likes the other bands, right? Right. So then... I would be like, I don't know, but I just 10 was undeniable. It was this awesome up and down musical journey. The whole thing hit after hit after hit the way it closes. Like it was a if you it was a lineup in baseball, you'd be like, that's the best lineup, not because of the talent, but like how it complements each other, too. So there was that. Uh, And then there's Stone Temple Pilots, which you get into in the book, because speaking of like, I remember when Purple came out and the guy who I thought was a loser bought the CD and made us listen to it in the car. And I was like, these guys suck. I went back and listened, by the way, after reading the book. As I was reading the book, I would go back and listen to all of these albums. It was a lot of fun. So thanks for that. Awesome. I'm listening to Purple, and I'm like, this is a good album. It's good. Like, if there's some real highs here. And maybe they try some other weird shit. But so does everybody else. I mean, hell, we both love Radiohead, and we give them a pass for some of the stuff they try to pull off. So right. I'm listening to Stone Temple Pilots, and I'm going, I fell for the classic. Like, It just wasn't... if. If you were the guy that likes Stone Temple Pilots the most out of all these groups, out of all the options back then, then we would be like, what's wrong with that guy? Like, he's a Stone Temple Pilots guy. Like, Pearl right. Jam was okay. Nirvana was okay. Soundgarden, I think, was okay. But right. you couldn't have Stone Temple Pilots first, which seems mm. unfair. But I'm like, wait, are they just ripping off Pearl Jam? Like, what are they doing? Again, I go back and listen to this album that's almost 30 years old. And I was like, this is a good album. And yet, their lead singer, Scott, is no longer with us had just a really felt like he had the worst time out of all of these guys trying to figure out like
4: where he fit in. Yeah. You know, like I was really interested in writing about stone temple pilots in this book because they were like you say, dismissed as a Pearl jam ripoff band. And you have this dynamic between Pearl jam and STP, which is similar to the dynamic between Nirvana and Pearl jam where, you know, Nirvana is slagging Pearl jam for being this sort of inauthentic band. And then, STP is being slagged as being inauthentic version in comparison to Pearl Jam, and like Pearl Jam did not throw them a lifeline. By the way, you know, like there's an interview in Rolling Stone, like where STP comes up, and Eddie Vedder essentially says that these guys are jacking what we do. And I think really with the STP thing, it really comes down to that song "Plush" from the first record, Core. Like if you listen to that song, I think that is the song that sounds the most like Pearl Jam. And if you watch the video, and I go in depth in in this in the book, I'm going like super analytical with music videos, but the same guy who directed the first two Pearl Jam videos directed the first two Stone Temple Pilots videos. And in the video for Plush, the way his camera is positioned, it's like slightly above Scott Weiland's head. And it emphasizes his cheekbones in a way that makes him look more like Eddie better than he really does. And you just get the impression watching that video that like, okay, they're trying to make this band the most Pearl Jam like substitute that you can have. And also, you know, like Pearl Jam, like this was by the time STP got rolling, like 10 had finally started to peter out. So there weren't any new Pearl Jam videos on MTV. STP seemed like they were sort of like filling a void at that time. But like, you know, they were recording that record at the time that 10 came out. Like, There's no way they could have ripped off Pearl Jam because they it wouldn't have been on their radar yet. But because of the timing issue early on, it really became this sort of unfortunate thing that they could not shake afterward. Even as their records, I think, got a lot different from what Pearl Jam was doing. They, STP, like if you listen to Purple or like tiny music like that. Like there's sort of like a David Bowie Beatles thing going on that like is totally unlike anything Pearl Jam does. Uh, but yeah, it really changed the way that Ben was talked about. And it is unfortunate with Scott Wilding because, you know, people would talk about him being a poser all the time and he was like a legitimately tortured guy. I mean, if you look at the end of his life, you know, he died by himself on a tour bus you know, in the parking lot of the Mall of America, you know, a horrible way to die, you know, but in a way it's like, okay, if you thought this guy was a poser, you know, look at how he ended up. I mean, he clearly was not pretending to be something that he wasn't in his records. Yeah.
0: Going back and listening to purple, although it's not like this first time I've gone back and listened to it. Like at moments it's harder, heavier than anything Pearl Jam would be regularly doing back then too. Right. Uh, but it, they just kind of drafted into that uncool space because of marketing, because of just the way we are, you know, the way we consume things where it's like, well, I can't like this and then also like this. And then if I don't like this, I have to be offended that this exists because yeah. it's, it's not this. And I mean, look, welcome to media. Welcome to anything that's being consumed <laughs> by anybody, whether it's books, it's not even that clothing on and on and on. All right. So. I remember the third album with Pearl Jam where I was like, oh, wait, (laughs) there's like something happening here, which, you know, that's why I always kind of make the 311 joke. Like, at least I knew every time I was like, I know exactly what I'm getting. (laughs) Right. But that's not what we always want either. So uh, I know No Code came out and I was still in college and my roommate loved him still, so I didn't have to buy it. I bought Yield. I was kind of like, you know what? I didn't buy No Code because Blasco had it. So I'll buy No Code or I'll buy Yield in 98. Yield is awesome. Yield is an awesome CD. And yet at that point, they are transitioning away from whatever they were at the beginning of the decade, which is not unique to them. But their second act is is strange in that it's like, wait, what's the last Pearl Jam song? What's the last, like how often are you going back to any of the CDs after maybe the third one, or sometimes even for some people, the second one, it's yeah. both a compliment. And then also like a legitimate question about who they are over these 30
4: years. Yeah. You know, yield is an interesting record because, and it sounds like you had a similar experience, you know, cause like this book, it's, it's, um, it's really written like from my perspective and like my perceptions of it. It's like not a biography. It's like a work. It's sort of like a work of music criticism. It works, like Steve, of, it's really good stuff. Right. Uh, but um like yield was the fr- was the last pearl jam record that i bought when it came out like at the time like after that i i checked out for a while and i ended up coming back to them uh like in my 30s uh when i started listening to like a lot of the bootlegs and stuff but you know there was a feeling with pearl jam i think in the 90s like in 98 99 that maybe they're finished you know because That seven-year span from like 91 when 10 comes out to 98, it was definitely a big change in my life because I went from being 14 to 21. But it was also just a huge change in culture. You know, uh, music was totally different. Just pop culture was totally different. You basically went from like alternative rock to new metal and boy bands. It was like night and day. And it did seem like, okay, how is this band? gonna make it it just seemed like the music that they were making was totally out of fashion by then and really for me i feel like the more interesting part of their story comes after that moment and how they were able to reinvent themselves i think as a live band first and foremost that the focus was going to be less on records and more on playing adventurous live shows like never repeat a set list play for a long time and just be super reliable in a way that they weren't in the '90s, in part because of like the Ticketmaster thing, for instance, that made it really difficult to see Pearl Jam in the mid '90s. They didn't play very much, and when they did, they played at these sort of fly-by-night venues, like the only places that were not Ticketmaster affiliated. Like I didn't see Pearl Jam in person until '98, just cause, just because again it was hard to see them. And then in the 2000s and beyond, they become the band almost like what Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers used to be, like, they're going to be in your town, you know, every other year, at least. I mean, not lately because of COVID and all that, but like, in the 2000-2010s, it'd be like, we're going to be in your town, it's going to be a phenomenal show, and we're just going to be the best live band you've ever seen. And it seems like that's their identity now, and uh, it's been a really fascinating career arc. You know, like, they went from being this radio band to being a live band, and I think that's what has enabled them to survive. I if they had been trying to make 10 over and over again, I think they would have been finished long ago. Um I mean, I, I'll pose this question to you. I think it's interesting because I know you're a Radiohead fan, comparing Radiohead and Pearl Jam because like Radiohead, one thing that they were able to do that Pearl Jam wasn't was have a record like In Rainbows. That's a beloved album, a lot of people that's their favorite Radiohead record and it's like outside of the 90s you know so like that record and like kid a and stuff it made it it ensured that they were not going to just be a 90s band and like pearl jam in terms of albums wasn't really able to do that in the same way i just can't compare anyone to radiohead
0: i just can't (laughs) no i I mean i'm I'm serious about it you know I, i saw the smile in la at the end of the year last year which i know it's not you know member for member, the same thing. Um, I would say that show at its highs was everything I love about Tom York and, and, uh, what they were doing at its lows. I felt like it would, it would kind of, I was like, I don't know that I'm ready for this. So that would, you know, separate the smile from radio, radio could, could do pretty much anything. And I'm going to find something that they're doing with sound that's going to be appealing to me. So you know, it can be defending the thing you like, but I, I legitimately believe that there's such geniuses at creating new sounds, as simple as that sounds, and making it work in a way that feels like there's a melody even when the melody isn't obvious, right? Or how they change it within the song. Um, most bands, almost very few bands can can continue to do that, and Pearl Jam didn't even seem interested. So <laughs> I what I like about the Pearl Jam story is that they went cliche rock star where Eddie Vedder gets his, gets his wish, and then he kind of hates it. And I think he legitimately hated it at times, and I think at other times it was maybe you know part of the deal. And yet they were making great music. The music is not to the same standard. To me, they, they couldn't hang with a, a, a group like Radiohead, but they appreciated who they were later on, which balanced the lack of creative growth. You know, like, I think they appreciate their thing. Like Eddie Vedder seems like a good dude, you know, right? The just breathe. Con- the point that you make about the song, just breathe. is like somebody going like, Hey, you know what? Like I'm different in life. I'm not going to have the same perspectives. I'm not going to have this angst. You know, I think that's another reason why, like when we're younger, we relate to these bands so much. Cause it's like, man, that guy's saying he's pissed off about it too. And then it's like, Oh, 20 years later, like, Hey, you got over some stuff. Like it's not the same. <laughs> you know, it right. just doesn't have the same kind of appeal. Um, so despite both bands having a really long long run, I think they're both appreciated for two entirely different things at least for me.
4: Yeah, I mean I think I mean the thing with Radiohead is that they're sort of a band in name only at this point. Like they haven't done anything in a while and now you have Tom York and Shining Greenwood doing their own thing and it's it's its own thing but it's like pretty Radiohead like. It is. It's I always true. wonder like are they going to even do anything i i don't think they would ever say we're broken up but i also wouldn't be shocked that they never made another record you know you don't know but if they did make another record and this is a difference i think with pearl jam is that fans would expect that it would be great and maybe even their best record like there's an expectation with radiohead that the new album could be one of their best and most bands of their you know status or how long they've been around like that's a pretty rare thing you know usually you don't expect uh, a band in their 50s to still be making great music Uh, with with pearl jam however again i do go back to the live band thing i think they are one of the great american live bands of all time uh especially on the arena level and there is a sense of how they always bring it that uh Feels like a core part of their legacy, you know, that they are a band. I mean, they get compared to The Grateful Dead. They're not really anything like The Dead musically, but there's a similar ethos there of we're performing musicians and we 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 do a unique show every time and it's going to be great for people. Um just circling back to what you're saying before about Eddie Vedder, like how he seems now. I mean, he is there is a sort of like joy to Eddie Vedder. Like, In middle age that he did not have as a younger man. And my theory about that is that when Eddie Vedder was in his 20s, he wanted to be a musician in his 50s. You know, I think he always wanted to be like Neil Young or Joe Strummer or Pete Townsend. He wanted to be like one of those guys who had like been around for a long time, like a veteran. And like when he was a young, hot rock star who didn't have that kind of experience, I think. He was miserable at that, but now he is a guy in his fifties who's been around a long time and it just feels like he has a level of comfortability with himself now because of that. That's me psychoanalyzing Eddie better. That's my theory on him. But I think that, I think that that holds a lot of water. I really enjoyed the book
0: again. Uh, it's out now the paperback be out later this week. um, And there's some good Springsteen stuff in there as well. So there's a lot more in here that that wouldn't even come close to covering. So uh, thanks as always. Thanks for the work on this. And good to catch up. Stephen Hyden.
4: Thank you, Ryan.
0: This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate. Is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season, throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app.
1: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. ease so start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the hotels.com app today you want details Bye. i drive a ferrari 355 cabriolet what's up i have a ridiculous house in the south fork i have every toy you can possibly imagine and best of all kids i am liquid so now you know what's possible
0: let me tell you what's required Today's Life Advice is presented by State Farm. Navigating the real world is never easy. Working, paying bills, buying a home, all the big stuff. There's no instruction manual for any of it. So figuring it out on your own can be stressful. With State Farm, you can scratch insurance off that list of stressful stuff. So when you ask yourself, what if I get into an accident? Or what if I want to renovate my home? State Farm is there for the what ifs. Uh, I had to get a, a new quote on insurance recently. State Farm said, hey, here's a deal quick couple minutes on the phone they start going hey you want to go umbrella i said yeah let's start throwing some other stuff in there the stuff's actually easy i try to put off i guess i don't try i do put off a lot of this stuff um and in this case i didn't and then i was really glad that state farm was there like a good neighbor you can file a claim on the state farm mobile app or if you prefer to talk to a real person which i still am kind of into that including your agent call anytime it's what they do like a good neighbor state farm is there call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today Kyle, Cerruti, what's up? Let's get right to it. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. Okay, this one is titled, Am I the P word? I don't know why I'm not going to say it right now. I just I don't know. I'm not going to say it. am going to get warmed okay. up. Is that okay with everybody? A little too early for that.
5: Yeah. I don't know.
0: I'm for the record, like, I'd I, be fine if you said it, but yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I am the P word for not saying the P word <laughs> right now. Because it's not like I'm afraid to swear at times. Although I'm trying to dial it back on Bills. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I'm a little delirious after late. 20 hours. It's that. Like that one Sunday, I was swearing like crazy. Because it was like late Sunday. I'd watched 20 plus hours of basketball. So anyway, here we go. All right. Long time listener, big fan. Quick, thank you for helping with the bet. Took uh, Devin Witherspoon to go uh, at the top of the draft. Plus 1,100. Whoa. Only reason he was even on my radar was the draft pod with McShay and Daniel Jeremiah. So shout out to the help. Uh, six three two thirty five, mm decent sized guy, mid twenties, living in Chicago, grew up in Naperville, a suburb outside of the city. I know Priscilla's given us a shout out in the past in this pod. Yes, I have shout out to Naperville. Uh, I, I give my current location because I think it's relevant. The other day I went to an overpriced latte, uh, to get an overpriced latte down the street as I was walking out of the ca- coffee shop. There were some people with backpacks on walking paths and ahead of me, I live in an area of the city with a few city colleges around. So I figured they're all just college kids going to class or what have you. Someone walking to the side of the group turns around and looks in my direction. And I thought he was looking past me, but I was wrong. I get ahead of him as he stops. And then all of a sudden he comes up from my side and smacks the coffee out of my hand. I was shocked, (laughs) but then saw that the coffee hadn't really spilled. So I reached down to grab it and then he kicks it and goes, and it goes all over the sidewalk. Apologies for the language coming up. uh, But this is what he said. Uh, this is what was said. I look at him and incredulously and say, what the fuck is your problem? That's all right. No problem. I, I messed up. Your Reasonable. Sentence, but I think yeah. he says, fuck you and your coffee. This guy hates a grounded bean, huh? <laughs> um, I go on it again with what the fuck is your problem? His response. Fuck you and your coffee. I saw what you were going to do. I knew it. Get the fuck out of here. Okay, you know what? We're just reading the script, though, so I'm making up for the not swearing. I was so shocked and confused by what was going on. I asked him what the hell he's talking about. He just keeps saying he knew what I was going to do, which makes no sense. I've never seen this guy before in my life. I start sizing this, uh, this guy up. He's a few inches shorter, clearly. Uh, it, he isn't a college student. He just had a backpack on. I'm pretty upset, so I start taking a step towards him, and he starts to reach for his bag. At that point, I remember this is Chicago, not the suburbs I grew up in. So I backed down and started walking home. I'll be honest. I feel like I kind of wimped out here. He was definitely crazy and maybe high on something. I see a lot of crackheads in the city. and He didn't really fit that description, which threw me off. I don't know. I feel like I should have at least gone back to the shop to ask for another coffee to let them know what happened (laughs) in case his plan is just to hang outside all afternoon and smack coffees down like Dikembe in the 90s. Should I have tried to strong arm this weirdo or I do the right thing and back down and uh, back down in my eyes pretty quickly? Thanks for reading, guys. All right. Um, Pretty standard, pretty standard on this one. What's our rule about everybody being a tough guy in everybody else's situation? We don't do that here. I think if you tell that story, there's people up. No way, bro. Fucking smash that guy. You don't know. The shock of a rando who you don't know slapping down your coffee, then kicking it out, going immediately into Chuck Norris. You know, most of us are not built that way. So I will tell you, don't feel like the P word. You're totally thrown off. All right. Now, if this is a long running problem where you think you feel like you have other men dominating you, then maybe this is something else to address. But it's six three two thirty five. You know, I don't know what your deal is, right? There's a lot of size there. Maybe you never had to use it, so you're not really sure. Maybe deep down, you're kind of questioning yourself. You're wondering, how would this go? How would this go? Maybe you need that answer. We're not endorsing it, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, everybody's kind of got their their different thing here. I think it's just so shocking. And then when you add in the fact that um, he didn't fit the description, which I'm sure we're going to get one email saying, like, you know, I think you guys are a little insensitive crackheads. Um, <laughs> I, sorry.
5: Um, you didn't even describe him though we don't even yeah know he, he said
0: he, he thought he might have been a student because i could also like there's been a couple times like late little freckes 7-eleven guys going in for darts somebody starts giving you a hard time and you're like i don't even want to fuck physically put my hands on this person like i don't want the jacket shit getting on my stuff like you know like I, I, i'm not dealing with this you know look It's just the reality of the situation. Like, I don't want to get into some sort of physical altercation with him. I wonder if this is all part of a setup. I don't know if this guy's like, is this his routine? And he does something and he's hoping and maybe he picked you because you are big. And then it's some other play where he thinks he's going to then file assault charges on you for it. And then this is his deal. Maybe this is his whole scam. So I have, uh, I think you did the right thing. I wouldn't tell too many people about the story because you're just going to get a ton of dudes telling you that all the moves that they would have done. Oh, I (laughs) would have fainted with the right hook, but then spinning back fist and then I would have done this right. Then I would have watched Roadhouse and jerked off to it. Then I would have (laughs) gone back outside, you know, so like I don't have it. Take it easy on yourself. The only you know, other thing where I can make it worse is like, is this a continuing pattern where you feel like you get taken? My guess is at six three two thirty five. this probably doesn't happen to you very often. Chances are you've probably been in a fight. Uh, you're mid-20s. You're probably a little bit more geared up to want to fight. Um, even though the Fighting Saws Everything shirt is really funny, almost ordered one, didn't because I'm just not tough enough to even wear it. Uh, I, I like what you did here. Take it easy on yourself, but don't tell a ton of people about it because they're just going to be annoying. Uh, because that's what men do they all are like action heroes in their own version of events of the thing that you didn't do
3: right yeah i mean i think my my policy would be um kyle you would smoke like, this fool if, huh? no no no. <laughs> if there's even a hint of a weapon i'm out you know what i mean those yeah you know those even those. But you're a nice guy aren't you yeah, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be a knife guy. I just, you got to oh. have a knife, you know, I mean, I, I, and so if, if there's reaching for a bag, I don't think there's any problem, you know, uh, and, and sometimes a knife is just a deterrent. I'm not one of those guys who wears, and, and I don't you even don't have wear it, it your... all the time. No, I don't like wear it with that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the white dudes at Poughkeepsie. Can, we, like, get an, can like, we get well, it, just well, an? just
0: <laughs> an idea of like how
3: often you were carrying a knife while you were in New York? Uh, I think everywhere I was allowed in with, um, but I mean I like I, but I never like it's it's not like a flash it just I feel better with it. Uh but it, like, it. I wasn't got like it. uh like a lot of the white dudes at Poughkeepsie will have the clip on the outside of their f- stupid fucking cargo shorts or something. So it's like, well, that guy's got a knife because you can just see the little clip of it. Um so that's that's a deterrent for me. I'm like, I'm not I that guy could call me whatever he wants. I'm not really interested in seeing if you know how fast he can pull that out because he's got to do it. He's got it clipped. Uh but I guess my point is like I I go to seven eleven a lot. There's one right by my house. Um and, and I'm, I'm on foot a lot i don't like to drive if i uh if i if there's a chance i might be stopping in for a, a reeb somewhere so i'm on foot a lot and and 7-11 a lot of dudes hanging outside don't really have a ton to do they're there yes. a lot they like to say stuff they like to ask for stuff uh and sometimes they get pretty fucking aggressive and um you know i i'm usually like like what you said it's like i'm like this guy's crazy he stinks uh i don't want to touch him whatever i'm gonna keep moving but it's still in my head as i'm walking like God, one of these days, I'm really just not going to take this shit anymore. So it's not, it's not crazy that you have the thought like, should I have done something? But it's good that you didn't. Like I deal with that probably once twice a week, where I'm like, this motherfucker, I know he's going to say something. Hey, dude, you you don't got anything <laughs> once today? Once twice or... a week. <laughs> yeah. Well, I go to Seven Eleven a lot. <laughs>
5: So the, the guy you that much at 711 he like different a guy Different
3: guys oh dude it's like i don't know oh, like yeah. cycle of them different guys so Rudy, it's like they're etiquette I'm sheltered here i guess <laughs> i don't know They're like taking shifts it's like rarely do i see the same dude uh, but I guess my point is, and, and I'm I'm walking in, Hol- I walk from my place in Hollywood to the frolic room. That's like a war zone down, you know, down Hollywood and Vine. It's fucking crazy there. <laughs> Kyle's so, in the streets, man. So. I'm just telling you, like people say stuff, but I you keep walking and it's not crazy in your head to be like, God, should I have done something? The answer is no, you shouldn't have done anything. But when somebody talks to you in a crazy manner, it's not crazy for you to be like, you know, am I respecting myself enough today? You are. It's good. Don't put your hands on the crazy guy. If you can help. it. Look, I didn't. I didn't get into a fight
0: at a pickup basketball game 21 years ago, and it still bothers me. I was <laughs> yeah, like, You should have just cracked that fucking guy, but I couldn't. I just started a new job. I didn't have any insurance. I also wasn't sure how I was going to go. Like, I wasn't 100% sure I was going to win. So I was like, I don't want to lose this, and I'm cooking right now. So I want to keep playing hoops. Keep the flow of the game going. Right. And the guy just, you know, he just got, I've mentioned this once, but like, he just got super pissed, and I was being a little bitchy, too. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't without blame. But then he went to me and I was just like, all right. And then, you know, I these guys at work were kind of looking at me differently because I think they thought I would have. And I just was like, I want to keep playing, man. I don't really want to get in a fight. And uh, he was like, well, I've about fucking had it with you next time we're going. <laughs> and we didn't. And uh, it's 21 years ago and I still think about it sometimes. So I don't know. <laughs> That's my problem. Why did I just say that out loud? So Rudy, go ahead
5: yeah i mean I don't, I don't have a ton of experience with being berated uh at you know 7-elevens or coffee shops but i will Bitch say made much yeah i mean listen sorry this is what it is but <laughs> that
0: was really harsh i was just trying to make a joke and then it came out <laughs> yeah. i don't know maybe i'm being more aggressive now that i'm thinking
2: about this yeah i apologize also, to saruti that wasn't no a good it's joke.
5: fine it's fine i'm also a non-fighter really mostly because of my physique i mean i'm not big and you know i don't lift so like i just kind of know how it's going to end in that situation but you know is it really worth, like, the good thing is you were alone, right? So nobody really saw this. It's not like you were with a girl, you weren't with a buddy. That probably would have made it worse because then you would have maybe tried to do something. At the end of the day, I know coffees are like five, six bucks, like it sucks. But is that worth, like, the guy pulls a knife out on you or even worse? Like, I, I don't, I just, I don't see the, I, I know it's annoying. you'd be like, yeah, fuck this guy. I'm just going to clock him in the face. But you never know. Like, maybe this guy is like an actual fighter or he's just a total, I mean, he has to be a total wild card considering the fact that he just spiked your coffee for no reason. <laughs> I just don't think you fuck with that guy. I just kind of am like, hey, like, you're just going to have to just this is you take the L on this one. I don't know what to say. And again, nobody saw it. So you don't look like a bitch or you don't look like the P word, like the guy said, like, it's not like, you know, your girlfriend was there or whatever. And now, like, she's going to remember she's gonna tell wonder. her friends like nobody yeah. really knows what happened. So I kind of think you made the right decision because, yeah, is there a chance that you could just beat this guy's ass and felt better? Sure. But is there also a chance you could have, like, gotten stabbed? Yeah. So maybe maybe I don't know. I would just I would proceed with caution. I think you did the right thing.
0: Yeah, the other part of this too, man, let's not forget uh, the backpack, that the guy went for the backpack. So whatever, but, and you're right, another great point by Saruti is that, uh, you know, if it had happened with a female friend or uh, woman. a bunch of your buddies or whatever, but he probably wouldn't have done it, all right? So one, you don't understand his intent. He went to grab for a bag. He knocked, off, knocked over a coffee. It's really not that big of a deal. Nobody else has
5: to know. Uh, You don't have to fight every person that fucks with you. Like, I know this is pretty. Think
0: about this. Like, today you're a little bummed out because you're like, did I pee out here, man? (laughs) Did I pee out a bit? (laughs) So that's going to mess with you. You know, the the gender part of this is that, you know, as men, you want to know that you're going to be able to defend yourself in a situation like this but you didn't even attempt to defend yourself right so you you're out of coffee you're questioning yourself a little bit the other alternative is one you get shot or stabbed um this guy's actually a good fighter and this is why he's doing all this stuff so now he you know it's like when your girlfriend cheats on you and you go to beat up the guy and then he kicks your ass you're like great my (laughs) girlfriend cheated on me and i got my ass kicked in a guy's driveway (laughs) not the best day uh
3: that would be just a story though. you got the driveway was specific what'd you do this week
0: <laughs> well uh yeah look <laughs> I, I
3: i think you should you should feel good about yourself Next, you tomorrow. did the adult thing yeah <laughs> you did tomorrow. the adult thing right. th- that's a great Uh, like magnet you don't have to fight anyone that fucks with you i like that shooting it's a good succinct it makes a lot of sense and it's a good thing to it's like a daily affirmation some people count to 10 you should just say you don't have to fight everybody that fucks with you i like it print the shirts idaho When I left. saw uh, Stanford Steve sent me a picture of what looked like freshman football Saturday yesterday. Uh, <laughs> wait, that guy would have done something. That guy would have done something.
5: Guy, freshman wait, 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 wait. Out of the blue he just texted you the I pitcher. don't know
3: why he did, but he just said it to me. <laughs> I, I don't it's, I don't uh... think he I don't think I knew i don't think he knew that i knew it was you and i just texted him, i was like it looks like that kid's about to call me a pussy that's actually what i said to him. And he was like nah saruti gets all the girls or something i was like yeah i know it's saruti but uh yeah you just look like you wanted trouble so maybe that I, guy would have done something
5: no i think when i well yeah he would he would have said something i don't know if he would have done something sure sure <laughs> he
4: looked, looked like, like he have done something.
5: Kiss. he would have definitely used the p word i'll tell you that right now um <laughs> Uh, San Francisco loves that picture for some reason, but for me, out when I was a freshman in football, I'm wearing like these giant shoulder pads, and I was probably like 5'2 at the time, 110, dripping wet. And but I would give <laughs> it to you, I would, I would say something, I would say it was probably a terrible decision, and I've, I've learned since then, but. For some reason, San Steve, I think he posted that on Instagram when I left ESPN. That was like the goodbye post for me. It was like yeah, my he just sent that. Is that picture. like
3: he keeps that in his, like, uh, like keeping, like, pictures of your grandkids in your pocket, yeah. just ready to whip them out whenever the time is right? <laughs> I don't know why he yeah. sent me that, but uh, I'm so glad he did. Thanks, man.
0: You played football, Saruti. You went out there, you strapped on the pads. <laughs> so I'm serious. You know what I mean? The guy that's I- got... You're weighing 110 going, I'm playing football. That means you got a little wiring in you that I like.
5: <laughs> I look back at that and I go, how did that make any sense? Like, why well, did I didn't play soccer. I love soccer now. For some reason, I played tackle football. I played defensive back. I was actually decent. I was a good ball hawk, but obviously I couldn't tackle anybody because I was tiny. But you played uh, four
0: years, right?
5: I did, yeah. Yeah. See? yeah, Did you
0: wear a Letterman jacket?
5: I I have my Letterman jacket actually somewhere around here. I actually have my jersey right next to me because I just cleaned out my parents' house. Um But yeah, I was kind of like a shithead high school football player. But again, I wasn't I wasn't good. I just was like I was I was the kid that was better, like in flag football. at like the passing camp leagues because I just didn't have to hit anybody. And I was like good at catching and running. Yeah, but but you're out there. I
0: mean, you got guys blasting you. The guys coming around blocking you. Probably some tight ends that murdered you. Some running backs that won the war at the point of attack. But you played four years. You got the jacket. You're probably having a couple beers in the woods. You know? (laughs) You know? like i made out with steve saruti last night like oh my god big he's deal. the hottest senior was a so, big deal yeah yeah i mean you're fucking a lot cooler than i was in high school so i love it i love all that stuff i wear your jersey to an <laughs> event
5: <laughs> i have did so, you guys have listen, uh, last names were you that kind of school or were you just uh it's all about the name on the front oh we had last names with the name oh, yeah. so, yeah. oh yeah something so, the was a big deal school. oh yeah. yeah we played in some state i mean we play i mean we played against Aaron Hernandez in high school. Like, there was some, Connecticut's a sneaky, decent football state. Like You would think it's terrible because it's so small. To Bucky Jones. Player. To Bucky Jones, yep. Uh, I think Will Levis is from Connecticut. I, I didn't even know that until recently he's from Connecticut, so there you go. Uh, all right, all
0: good stuff here. We have a time zone one on Idaho. Does anyone care?
5: I do not care at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, yeah, I think the decision's done.
0: People love the time zone content. Yeah, they do. My God. uh, Whatever. Let's get a little cleanup, though, in case anybody's visiting Idaho this summer. First off, Mountain Time Zone is the absolute best for watching sports. NFL Sunday start at 11. EPL morning, 637. You must have a family, dude. That's early. (laughs) Yeah. There's plenty of dudes who don't want to be up at 630. NBA playoffs getting over around 11 at the latest perfection. Secondly, most importantly, you're right. Idaho time zones are funky and absolutely fucked. Good. I currently live in Boise and went to school up in northern Idaho, same state, two different time zones, northern Idaho, specific time, but the climate is more suitable for mountain times because we are so north. Summers are amazing. winters are brutal, but games are on earlier in the day. So we always had an excuse to start drinking. There you go. Anyway, long story short, I've lived in the best, the two best time zones for watching sports and mountain time is by far the best. Uh, Look, I agree. Other than that EPL note there, I think that's a little early there. Uh, I think mountain time zone is the call. I, I really do think it is for the United States. South of France, you know, got guys DMing me right now going, this is a little more challenging. Uh, maybe not in the summer. Okay. Okay, this one's a little quicker, but I love it. Uh, I work in an accounting firm in the Midwest. We have a new intern where well, we had a new intern who joined our team that has serious Dirk Diggler energy. <laughs> that was a great laugh. Uh, I'm not sure if I should bring it up or if he would even understand the reference. He wears big 70 shades. He'll have his shirt with like three of the top buttons unbuttoned. He wears a big gold chain. To me, the look he's going for is so... Yeah, there you go. It's so clearly cribbed from Boogie Nights that it can't be an accident. My fear is that if I bring it up to him that he looks like Dirk Diggler and he has no idea what I'm talking about, I'll then have to explain Boogie Nights to him. And out of context, I think it would be awkward in a work setting Then I'm the weirdo that thinks an intern looks like a porn star. Well, not a real porn star, though. An actor playing a porn star. And it's also fucking Mark Wahlberg, kid. You could do a lot worse. Uh, My question is, should I bring it up and see if he's pumped because that's the style he's been going for? Or should I leave it and just laugh about it with my friends that have seen Boogie Nights? I would say don't say anything because you don't want to ruin it, right? I like, I think I think the instincts of the emailer here, Kyle, are really good. Like that's one of those things about when you get old, you're like, Are you fucking serious? You haven't seen the firm? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, i will be like, I'm just four, you know? <laughs> like, well, you didn't you didn't no one gave you a list at age ten <laughs> you to didn't get on t- it. <laughs> right? Like, think about all the movies that came out when you were four. You, me, anyone listening to this right now, like, have you gone back and done the work? Of course not. All right. Not so, for Rudy. Not Cerruti fucking hates movies. <laughs> hates going backwards. Guy doesn't go backwards. He's like, Dune doesn't really hold up. The new one? Incredible. <laughs> right. So Although he's a huge Chalamet guy, so he yeah. would never do that. Me he would too. never do that to Timothy. So uh, I, I wouldn't say anything in fear of, of risk losing this amazing entertainment. Like, where, where are we, May 4th? Intern? I can't wait to see where this goes because there's a good chance that he hasn't seen it. What if he has and goes,
3: you're wrong (laughs) and points out all the intricate differences. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cold chain. He's like, dude, this is a rope, dude, not a link. (laughs) Uh, I mean, do you have anything on this? Do you think the kid's going for that look? I mean, that would be pretty crazy 20 plus years later, right? boogie nights is it's an, odd choice.
3: It's, an odd, it's, it's an odd choice of like emulating um i 98 I, think, I mean it's just tough when it's like i think if you're gonna say something you should say like you look like mark Wahlberg in boogie nights maybe i mean basically like because if you have to explain it like there's all you know i know it's just dudes talking here it's just dudes being dudes but there is like an hr aspect to it right it's like well basically the 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 premise is blah blah, blah. it's like uh, I could see why. Like in this day and age, it might be better to just like not say Dirk Diggler, and I'd say say nothing. I think inside jokes are great, and um, it's one of my favorite things. Hope to be a part of one someday. And uh, I think uh, I okay. think that's fine. You should keep keep them when you got them, as long as it doesn't get like too mean. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wouldn't be like chopping at the bit to be like, "Hey, dude, you know what you look like? You look like blah blah blah," because uh, he might not like that. Uh, we I worked with one dude at the Ringer who. Um, had like an issue with me wearing like black and blue or something together. And he was like, well, interesting outfit. And then I just fucking flamed him. And I was like, I never looked at him the same. Um, I never looked at him. That guy's gone. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, wait, can we, I don't even
0: know if I'll know who it was. Cause it wasn't up there a ton. Um, do I not like this person? Do I even know this? Person I'm not sure is? if,
3: they were prob- they might have been on your radar. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I just... Uh, so they just I, I said was, straight up to you one day. They're like, well, that's black... a choice. They're like, that's a choice or oh. something like that. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, and uh, you I, say I, I got response? him really good. I think I said his legs look like two Christmas hams or something because he was wearing the skinniest uh, skinniest of skinny jeans and a little beyond that too. But uh, I, I just, I never looked was at him the same. And I was like, oh, I hate that guy. No, I didn't. I, I was just shocked. I was like, it's like, I, like took my headphones out. I was like, "Are you talking to me?" And then he like said it again. I was like, "What the hell?" I was like, "What?" And so uh, I'm just like, "Knock your coffee over." Some some people aren't aren't into um, comments on their looks. I'm fine with it. I mean, I would well, you know, like that you guys notice my cool shirts and my gold chains and stuff. So uh, I, I'd be into that. But uh, I don't know. It just depends on how somebody's going to take it. So I would say nothing uh i'm leaning
0: towards saying nothing for a bunch of reasons i'm glad you brought the hr one because that's a good one because even if it was all harmless but you don't read the kid all that well and then he researches it and then goes back to hr which is pretty unlikely i would imagine but what you don't want to do what you probably always want to avoid at work is trying to describe to an hr rep (laughs) why you thought somebody looks like the guy (laughs) in a movie that again isn't a porn movie but it's a movie about porn and with the heightened sensibility of a bunch of just stupid shit people have to deal with in the corporate world. Some fair, some not. Um, I don't think you ever want to be in that chair because it's a losing spot. Like the HR rep is going to be like, oh, yeah, oh, my God, that guy looks just <laughs> like him. Great call. You know, <laughs> right. you'd be filling out forms. You'd be sitting there. There going be some sensitivity Zoom that you're going to have to check off your corporate to-do list box, which all the on-air people at ESPN would have like an assistant do. But I, uh, not all on-air, but I just remembered like there's no way this guy is doing this thing and be, be sitting there having to do all these checklists. It was just annoying. But, but,
3: you know, you said intern. So I say young, they might just have different things and be like, what do you? So I look like the guy with the huge piece. That's what you're saying. Like, uh, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, it's just, right.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> if the email here, by the way, the emailer could be wrong. The emailer could be like, hey, this kid just unbuttons his shirt a little bit and has a look. And <laughs> yeah. then he's like, oh, he looks just like
3: this. Totally. Because Jim Cunningham, uh, who I used to work with, we would we would always smoke cigarettes outside uh, the Gower building. Yeah. And every time he pointed Jimmy somebody C. out to me, he was like, that, there goes Kevin Costner. It's not Kevin Costner. It's like, there goes uh, whatever. It's just every time they said a guy looked like somebody, I'd be like, you're totally wrong. It's like, no, he dude, thought, of course. Wait, we would did argue. he think
0: he was right that it was like Costner? Because it was a major studio in it hollywood was stu- so it i know possible but was i was no no he, no, was he was... wrong on purpose because i
3: always like to do like you know he was wrong on purpose but he was saying that guy looks like this guy oh and looks look like that guy and i'm bad. like no just bad just bad he so that's what i mean yeah and he yeah. would and he would fight me on it and i'd be like you know we don't have a, we don't have a t- bunch of time here we got to go in after the cigarette i don't want to spend the whole time arguing why that's not fucking jim carrey but uh, it just doesn't look like it, man. And he was like, you're crazy. So there are people out there that just have a bad compass for that stuff. There you go. Bad compass. Because that could be it, right? You could be the emailer. You could just be
0: <laughs> like, oh, hey, I think this guy looks like this guy. I mean, think about it. He's an intern. So that means he is 20 to, I mean, he could be 18 anywhere to 23 if he's on the Rossillo program. All right. So the movie likely <laughs> came out three to five years before he was born. It's not likely that, Now, a movie made in late 97, Uh, this kid loved the movie so much that he's like, I want to do that, and I want to give off porn star vibes at the office. He may just be the most confident dude ever. He also could be totally off socially and doesn't realize how stupid it looks as an intern making this kind of impression on everybody else. But I don't think it's your spot. It also depends kind of how much of an alpha you are because, you know, there's a guy, if you're working in a certain spot, maybe even a financial place, a lot of dudes that played lax where the guy's 35 and he's like, Hey, Dirk Diggler first day does it to the intern and nobody knows his name. And his name's Dirk for the entire summer. And the kid fucking hates all of you because nobody knows his name anymore. You know, Hey, Dwight Jr. Huge. Yeah. (laughs) Big dong, huge dong. What's your deal? You know? And then, uh, so, I say you just enjoy it with your friends. enjoy it by yourself.
3: Yeah. Fish. It's special that way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's life advice. <laughs> thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve. Uh, thanks to our guests. Please subscribe and download the Ryan Russo podcast. Bring your spotlight.